good, everybody. Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Levin Black. What's up, Levin? Just another day in paradise. Talking <laughs> to you. You should be so lucky, my friend. Uh, if you are new to the show, this is where you get the hot takes mostly from me and the cold truth mostly from the human wet blanket that is Mr. Levin Black. We always say rate, review, follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network. We are so grateful when you do. And if you take the time to leave a review, we will take the time to read it on the show. This one comes from RDK BMT. Five stars. Thank you very much. Top-notch content. My second favorite Niners podcast behind only Believe in 49ers with Eric Davis. I, unlike most, kind of like Rob. Every show is entertaining and has good insight. That was the meanest, nice review I've ever read. You just like it because it compliments you and actually gets your name correct. Well, that's that is, you know, kind <laughs> of a big deal. Yeah, you don't get too many of them. How about this one that was left last Friday? I just saw it. Five stars. Jimmy Garoppolo. 49ers sent going to cut Jimmy. He's too good of a QB. That's it. No, no review on the show. It's just saying the Niners. I'm assuming he means they're not going to cut Jimmy Garoppolo. Aren't How many stars did he give us? Five stars, baby. All right. I'm good with it. Thank you, Ben. Wait. <laughs> I love it. And then we have this one also uh, from last week that I, I must have missed. I apologize for that. Love the crew. Five stars. Great content on all four weekly shows. Javi and Leo break it down. KP and Akash dive deep into the details. Robin Levin balance each other out, and the addition of Michelle with Robin Fridays preside, uh, provides an outsider perspective. Great job by Rob and the entire crew. Love listening on my ride home Tuesday through Friday. Need one more show for Monday evenings. I know during the season we have the Instant Reaction podcast, but during the offseason, we need just a little more to fill the week. Cheers. P.S. Having Joe Staley on for a few weeks in a row last season was the bomb. Pretty much. Yes, it was. And we're trying to get Joe on again. Hopefully we can do it uh, once before the draft. I actually haven't seen. Have you seen? Is he working with some of the prospects this year? I know he did last year. I actually haven't heard if he is or not. I haven't heard much from Joe Staley other than him, uh, you know, writing his thing for Gore's retirement. We're going to get into Frank Gore a little bit on today's show. We're going to get into uh, what I think is going to be a crazy three weeks for wide receivers because we're basically three weeks away from the NFL draft, more or less. Hasn't it already been? I know. Like, in addition to what (laughs) we've seen, I don't think we're done is my main point. Uh, Where do you want to start today? Do you want to start there? Do you want to start with Gore? What's on your mind? Sure. Let's start with the wide receivers because I think there's a – systematic or league-wide shift when it comes to wide receivers happening and it is jumped into the forefront this offseason so we got news today as we record this on wednesday stefan diggs reaches a new contract with the bills there were a couple of conflicting reports about how much he makes per year in new money it's between 24 and 26 million those are the two numbers that came out so put it wherever you want uh, it's a good contract for him. I think it's a good contract for the team. But obviously, that is going to go into the stew when the 49ers are trying to figure out what to do with Debo Samuel. Right. So all of that affects Debo. But I also think it's an interesting division amongst the NFL. I think half the teams have one philosophy and half the teams are still kind of in the old philosophy. And that's that with the influx of so many great wide receivers coming in and pretty much being able to right away play well. I mean, you got just in Debo's class, you have Debo, DK, AJ Brown. You got other years where you had, you know, Jefferson and CD. You had Jamar Chase this past year. 
you know, all those people came in and were able to be really good right away. I think there is a shift where some teams go, once a wide receiver is expensive, we are looking to move him and then draft another one to replace him because if you get the right guy and there are multiple in every draft class now, you can replace that production without missing a beat. And then there are still some teams out there that go, if you can get an elite wide receiver, get them and pay them. And I think that's an interesting shift because I think we're going to see more and more and more teams going the young route where wide receivers aren't going to start getting, I think there's going to be the elite ones still get their contracts, but all those middle guys, you know, the people that should be getting like 18 to 20 million now, they're going to be not getting their money. It's going to be almost like running backs where the top ones still get their money and all the ones in the middle have trouble finding long-term deals. I 100% agree with you. When's the last time we went into a draft where people were like, you know, there's not any really good wide receivers in this draft. Like that never happens recently. It's always, oh, there's tons of good receivers here. It's like, yeah, well, they've tilted the game towards offense. They've tilted the game towards passing. That's going to make wide receivers easier to come by. I completely agree with you. That's how the NFL trends generally, right? There's no middle class because of the rookie wage scale. It's so advantageous to be able to find good young players that teams look at it like, unless there's a really specific reason for keeping somebody that's kind of in that middle tier, they don't do it. It's just not worth it for them. They would rather take the risk of potentially drafting a worse player than to pony up the money for somebody that they see as a middle of the road type player. And that's why I'm conflicted when it comes to Debo. Does he deserve a contract? Yes. Do I want to pay him the contract? (laughs) No. You know what I mean? It's weird. Like you want to pay the guys that, help you know get you to where you are right and Debo's obviously been a big part of the Niners being good right now I mean his season last year was truly a special season that even Jerry Rice only has a couple seasons better than that and you want to reward that but at the same time I don't want to pay a wide receiver 25 million dollars which is 100% what he can demand right now that is his fair market value is 25 million see i you're not wrong. I was hoping they could get him for like 24. Get him at 24. I'd be okay with that. Does um, a million really make that big of a difference? I guess not. But I just like, what's your argument if you're Debo that you deserve more per year than Stefan Diggs? Stefan Diggs has a much better track record because you're willing to play running back. Okay. You but- are willing to sacrifice and take years off your career by going into the backfield and getting hit a lot more. So you deserve the money now because it's your only big contract. That's his argument. But my response back to that would be, well, we're not going to use you like that next year. We don't, we're not interested in using you like that because of what you said, how it could, it could damage your body and shorten your career. So that doesn't have any value for us. Yeah. And the response to that is, are you going to put that in the contract? And then I was going to go, no. And you're going to go, okay, then, because when the chips are down and you need a play, I know exactly what's going to happen. So don't give me this BS of we're never going to put you in the backfield anymore because if the team is desperate for some offense, that's exactly what they're going to do. You know, that's actually an interesting little thing there. What if there is some sort of like, hey, we're good for 20 carries a year, 25, you know, some some X number of carries. Or if Debo gets X number of carries, it's like an incentive bonus and he gets an extra 2 million, 3 million, 4 million. You could structure it like that. Yeah, you could definitely don't want that in the playoffs, you know, say, you know, in the playoffs, there's no limit because you want to be able to flip to that script 
in the playoffs where he suddenly is utilized more like that. You just don't want to do it in the regular season as much because you need to get through the regular season, but all bets are off once it's, you know, one and done potential if you lose. So I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there is some language in there that has to do with him being in the backfield. I don't know if it'll be a carries thing. If I'm Debo, I want it based on snaps. Hmm. They, you know, every game that I have five snaps or more in the backfield, I get, you know, this much of an extra bonus or something like that, like a per game bonus based on how many snaps he gets back there. So that if they start using him as a gimmick, he still gets his money. I feel like that's a way to satisfy everybody, right? Because I do think that if you're Debo, at some point you'd be like, damn, they are really using me out of the backfield a lot. This is shortening my career. But at least you know, hey, if they're going to do that, you're going to get extra money for it. So that might be a way to kind of avoid what could be a sticky situation. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of potential. I I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get the the ball as much. Because you don't want to. You don't want to give him that many carries. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's not in the backfield as a decoy or trying to just get a better matchup. Because if he's coming out of the backfield on a route, he might have a linebacker or just motion, you know, starting him in the backfield and then motioning him, things like that. And there's, I mean, you have a running quarterback. So imagine a backfield where, you know, you're in pro set and you have Mitchell on one side who has great speed and you have Debo on the other side and it's Lance coming out and he can go either direction with him. And kind of like an option thing, you know what I mean? It'd be it'd be ridiculous. Or you you run a counter to Debo, but you put Kittle in motion before the play, so he's got like a potentially a running start as a blocker. Like they could do all sorts of crazy stuff. It, I mean, if it goes well at Lance, it could be a just an offense like we've never seen in San Francisco, which is why it's it could be potentially so much fun next year. But I don't want to get off the wide receivers because I heard some other things today. Pat McAfee said on his show that the Packers are planning some sort of big move during the draft. And of course, when Pat McAfee talks about the Packers, I'm pretty sure we all know where he's hearing this from. Probably his bestie, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, the Packers executives themselves have apparently hinted about stay tuned in the draft and it's always interesting and things could happen. And then when you combine that with Peter Schrager on Good Morning Football, potentially throwing out Keenan Allen's name as somebody that could be available, that would make the Chargers just paid Mike Williams a ton of money. If they're going to trade him, they probably want to trade him out of the AFC. So could we see the Packers get aggressive on draft night for a wide receiver? I know I wouldn't like to see Keenan Allen with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised either way because that can be taken two ways. It could be taken, yes, the Niners – or not the Niners. The, the Packers are looking at a wide receiver. It could also be taken as Aaron Rodgers is using Pat McAfee to get his message out to the Packers. Could be. Saying He's done stuff like that before. Somebody, I'm not going into the season with the wide receivers I have. You don't trade Devontae Adams and not bring in somebody else. I'm not going with a rookie that we don't know and we got to get up to speed. We need to be able to hit the ground running. So get me a vet. And Keenan Allen would be, oh, he would be somebody that obviously is readily available, I think, at this point because of the Mike Williams deal. But I don't know if that would actually work out because Keenan Allen, he's not the freak that Devonte adams is he's a very good route runner mm-hmm. he he is declining athletically and he was already somewhat subpar when you're talking wide receiver standards in that category a lot of what he is is relationship and timing with the wide with the quarterback can he pick that up with rogers do they mesh in that way because if they don't he's not the guy that's just going to burn 
DBs and be wide open. I agree. Their their success will depend on their chemistry for sure. The other potential move is the Seahawks, which kind of brings me to my little theory for today's show. I think the Seahawks could have a big impact on what ends up happening with the 49ers, depending on what happens this offseason. First of all, a DK Metcalf trade. If he goes anywhere in the NFC, I don't know if they want to deal him to the NFC, but I also saw a report today that they turned down the 10th overall pick from the Jets for DK Metcalf, which is hilarious because that pick is actually the Seahawks pick. So essentially they would be trading DK Metcalf for their own draft pick back, which I would have loved the irony of that. But let's say, for instance, DK Metcalf gets traded, right? If he gets goes anywhere, more than likely he's going to want a new contract from that team. So that's obviously, again, going to impact Debo Samuel because he's in the same draft class as Debo Samuel. And so the Seahawks, I feel like they're going to affect potentially what Debo gets. Plus, if they trade for Baker Mayfield, that's going to affect the market for Jimmy Garoppolo. Because whatever Baker goes for, I'm sure, you know, Garoppolo's compensation is going to be tied to that. So I feel like the Seahawks, no matter whether it's a quarterback move or a wide receiver move, are going to have a big impact on the Niners this offseason. Yeah, the Seahawks are in an interesting position because they are the only team in the NFL that is in full-on tear-down rebuild mode, yet you don't really see them linked to quarterbacks early. You don't see them fully making the commitment to rebuild because they seem to be stubbornly holding on to DK. And they have other pieces that they could have moved to get draft picks that they haven't yet. So it's almost like they're in this denial state where, yes, they're rebuilding because they moved Russell Wilson and they have no quarterback whatsoever to speak of. But at the same time, they think it's not that big of a deal and they can find one and they'll be back to winning in no time. Like they, they need to make the full tear it all down. And that is moving DK. So if they truly have been offered the 10th overall pick for DK, it's kind of surprising to me they haven't accepted that. I mean, then they would have nine and 10 in the first round this year because they have the Broncos pick after the Russell Wilson trade. That's not a bad spot to be in if you're trying to rebuild your team. And they let Bobby Wagner go too. Like it's, I, that's what I love to see from a division opponent. I love to see a team that doesn't know what they're doing. That's trying to have one foot in two different worlds. Like great. Cause you know what that means? They're going to stink. They're not going to be any good. And I'm here for it, man. After too many years of the Seahawks kicking our ass, give me a six and 10 or six and 11 year from the Seahawks. I'm totally down for that. Um, But this is the other thing. I would love to see them get a deal done with Debo sooner rather than later, because think of what happened with the Tyreek Hill situation. Everything was good with Tyreek Hill and the Chiefs. There were reports that they were going to work on a deal, that it was going to be a much more traditional contract than the one he had previously signed. And then what happened? Devontae Adams got traded and he got a new deal. And all of a sudden Tyreek Hill was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want a contract like that one. And the Chiefs said no. And then bam, all of a sudden Tyreek Hill's a Miami Dolphin. What if the same thing happens with Debo, right? They're working with Debo. They're gotten things lined up. Everything is good. And then all of a sudden, boom, DK Metcalf gets traded, gets a monster new deal. And it's like, oh crap. Maybe Debo says, hey, I want more money. And then that's how stuff goes south and it goes south fast. I think those receivers from that draft pat or class are all sitting and they're kind of in this wait and see mode because they're waiting on the first one of them to get an extension or new deal. Because you got AJ Brown, you got Debo Samuel, you got DK Metcalf, and you have Terry McLaurin. Mm-hmm. All of them, I would say, are in relatively the same boat in terms of value. They've all had some big years, they've all 
haven't been big every year. I don't know how to put that because some of them have been had started off the really, really well. AJ Brown had a thousand yards as a rookie. Now he's had some injuries lately. You have DK Metcalf had a down year last year after looking otherworldly the year before. Terry McLaurin's kind of in this boat of injuries as well. And then you have Debo who, you know, busted out in a big way last year, but hasn't done it in two years. So he's got to do it again. So I think they're all in this similar value state. And the first one of them to drop will kind of set the market. If it's 22 million, then the rest are going to have a hard time getting to 25. If it's something that comes in at the Tyree kill, you know, Stefan Diggs, whatever level, then all of them are going to say, give me that or trade me. They all have really different arguments too. Like I think Terry McLaurin's got an argument like, look, I got three years in the league. Two of them are thousand yard seasons. And I play on the most dysfunctional organization in the sport with a pile of crap at quarterback. Basically. I would have and demanded he, a trade a long time ago. about him. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. That's the crazy part. Uh, AJ Brown is like, look, we're, I'm on a team. That's like the most run heavy team in football. Like the whole offense orbits around our running back. And I'm still putting up numbers. DK I think Met- he has the most leverage because they just got rid of Julio. So he's, you know, he's like, Hey, I'm the only guy pay me. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, DK Metcalf who's like, yeah, everyone loves those Russell Wilson moon balls. Well, guess what? I'm the dude that's running past everybody catching them all. So like they all have really good arguments to get a big deal. The order of how that goes down, I think is going to be really, really interesting. And it's frustrating to me that everyone's like, oh, yeah, they'll get a deal done in July. Like, no, man, I'd like to see it. I want to see ink and paper and people sign things. And I don't want to have to worry about this anymore. Yeah. One of those could be moved during the draft. Like that could be one of the big surprises. Yep. Is, I mean, I could see Green Bay going after one of them. No, I don't think they're going to be able to get um, any of them because three of them are the NFC. And I don't see any way in heck Tennessee is trading A.J. Brown. I think A.J. Brown is the most likely to get his deal without issue. Now, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I, you would think that some of these NFC teams would be so aggressive with the conference as weak as it is. Like, try and pluck some people, but, you know, maybe not. We'll have to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see if any rumors crop up during the draft of Debo being shopped. Because if those rumors crop up and seem credible, you know, I'm not talking about Joe Schmo or one of the shock jocks on the radio that like to just create BS, but an actual credible, credible report that the Niners have fielded offers and are at least listening, then I would say, okay, talks are not going well. Debo has big, either big demands where he wants to be top of the market, or I guess I should say, and, or is demanding a bunch of money up front, which I wouldn't be surprised if he is because he hasn't gotten that huge payday. Yeah, he's only a second-round pick, so he's been on the rookie wage scale, the second-round rookie wage scale, which is a lot less forgiving than the first round. (sighs) I mean, the cap is going to go up. It's an easy sell if you're the Niners, right? Give him a huge signing bonus. The Niners have a ton of money. They can afford to give him a huge signing bonus. Jed York's got the money on hand. Don't worry about that, because if you don't know, the money has to go into escrow, so like the owners have to set the money aside. Don't worry. Jed York is swimming in it. He can handle that. And then just tell him, hey, in two years, we'll make your base, you know, your base salary will go up. Like that's to me clearly how the structure should go. We'll see how that works. Um, I would like to see a structure that gives the Niners options, meaning they can trade him in a year or two if they need to pay Ayuk. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to see top of the market where the Niners are, there's no way they're trading him for at least three years type of deal. 
which is what the other guys have pretty much gotten with all their guarantees. I would like to see, I would be, I would be okay with paying him 25 million a year. If they're then able to, Hey, after year one or two, they only have a dead cap hit of maybe 10 million. So that if they need to pay Ayuk because he's the clear number one with Lance, they can make that move where they at least have their options open to where if Debo becomes less in the offense, because he just doesn't fit with Lance, they still have kind of a get out of jail free. They generally do structure things that way. But like you said earlier, it takes two to tango. DeForest Buckner was not willing to do that. And that's why he's not a 49er right now. So, you know, we'll have to see uh, if they can at least agree on that. Right. Like that's probably the Niners pushback. Hey, we'll give you the money that you want, but you got to help us out and structure it in a way that gives us some flexibility too. I, I hope it does. I love Debo. You know, he's one of those players that you just, he's like the personality of the 49ers. He just, he's that hard nose, physical, punch you in the mouth, like not interested in, you know, building his brand or anything like that. Like he's all about football. I love having those guys on your team in prominent roles. Cause that's as a fan, like that's exactly what we want every player to be. Right. And I think there would be kind of a, a bad message sent if you trade him without giving him the big deal. I think it'd be a little different if you gave him the extension and in a year or two, you end up moving on due to the scenario I laid out. Then if they trade him now, because if you trade, I think if you trade him now, just because you can't come to terms with a contract, there's going to be a lot in that locker room that are going, wow, they didn't give Buckner a deal and now they won't give Debo a deal. Why would I ever commit to this team? Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, all we heard was, was Buckner's done everything right. You know, you couldn't ask for a better guy, good team guy, all that stuff. And they traded him. Now he ended up getting his money. But yeah, I think that does matter. You know, the Niners have, have built this culture of like, we'll take care of players. You know, we're, we're a first class organization, win with class, all that stuff. They've tried to build that back up under Kyle and John. And it would reflect kind of poorly if they uh, ended up shipping Debo out of town. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, there's two former 49ers I want to talk about. One is Frank Gore, and I think people can tell where that discussion is going. But the other one is Terrell Owens, because remarkably, his football career is not over. We'll get into that when we come back. All right, Levin, we got the news this week that Frank Gore sort of unofficially, officially announced his retirement. Um, He wants to go into a front office role with the 49ers. And of course, with Frank Gore, the discussion always goes to is he going to make the Hall of Fame? 16,000 rushing yards, 100 touchdowns in his career. I think he's a lock for the Hall of Fame. Even if people say he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, I can't find anyone that says he won't get in. I think the general consensus is he's going to get in, even if some people believe he doesn't deserve to get in. Yeah, some people are morons. <laughs> like, it really is like they're inflicting their personal opinion over the actual results. And when you talk about is a guy a Hall of Famer, you need to look at who's been in with what track records. There's guys like Marcus Allen. Marcus Allen is similar to Gore in that he played a long time, and that allowed him to get high on the career rushing yards list. He has 3,000-yard seasons. That's it. And he's in the Hall of Fame, and nobody questioned that. Jerome Bettis, he's in the Hall of Fame. His career rush uh, yards per rush is under four. And he only had one big season because he never caught. He only has one season of over 1,800 yards from scrimmage. You have plenty of others. Tony Dorsett only had a couple years where Mm -hmm. he had more than like 1,700 yards from scrimmage. Like there are literally a handful of running backs in the 
uh, Hall of Fame that only had one or two big seasons. And that's the knock everybody says on Gore. Oh, he was never best in the league. He only had the one huge season, which that one huge season is well over 2,000 yards from scrimmage, which some of the guys in the Hall of Fame never got to that. But then you also have the fact that you don't have to be the best in your position. That is a fallacy. What running back in the 90s? Was Thurman Thomas ever the best in the NFL? Heck no, because he played with Emmett. Walter Payton, I guess <laughs> right. Payton probably ended right before he came in, but you know, he had Barry Sanders and he had Barry, Smith yeah. while he played like he was never the best in the league. You don't have to be the best in the league. And I, I push that to other positions because is big Ben a hall of famer. I don't think anybody questions big Ben being a hall of famer. Was he ever the best quarterback? Heck no. Cause he played with Payton and Tom Brady his entire career. And right. It doesn't Rogers. make him any less good. Right. Right. There, there are a lot of people like Jim Kelly. Is he a hall of famer? You're never the best in the league. Yeah. Like, why are we applying this weird idea that he has to be the best in the league and has to have so many great seasons and AP uh, first team when we don't apply that to other positions? Nobody questions, you know, some of these quarterbacks that were have never had an argument for being the best in the league, but nobody questions that they will be in the Hall of Fame and nobody's out there making arguments against them. Yet we're arguing against Frank Gore, who is way up on the list. And he has some, I guess you could say, feathers in his cap. You know, 12 seasons of 1,200-plus yards. Only guy in the NFL history to have that. Uh, yards from scrimmage, that is. Like, I, I just don't get the argument. It is people just sticking to this single idea that, oh, you have to be the best in, 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 in the league in your position or you're not a Hall of Famer. Okay, where has that ever applied? What position has that ever applied to? Yeah, I just think that's an absurd standard because it depends on how many people are in the league. What if you're the best at your position, but you stink, and it just happens that no other really good players are at your position? You it know? also like, depends on luck. Like, there are Hall of Fame quarterbacks that their entire career Tom Brady has played during. Well, they've never been the best quarterback in the league. Then. Right, that's why. so they can't get in. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. Gore has 100 touchdowns, as I said. Every single player with at least 93 touchdowns is either in the Hall of Fame or will be in the Hall of Fame when they become eligible. So how are you telling me that Frank Gore is so bad in some other area that he deserves to be the first one that doesn't get in? Now, you mentioned Jerome Bettis. He was under four yards per carry in seven of his last eight seasons. So if you want to say that Gore hung on too long and padded his stats, I would totally disagree. Gore was far more productive later in his career than Jerome Bettis was. He was far more productive later in his career than any running back has ever been. 16,000 yards. No running back is ever going to get that ever again. I, I feel really confident in saying that unless they dramatically change the rules, nobody's getting there again. Yeah, it takes too much physical uh, endurance and it just doesn't exist anymore. And I think more and more players are, you got to, factor this in too when you were a kid you envisioned yourself sometimes as the running back these days i don't think that's the case because kids it's the age of the internet people know you know kids that are 10 11 12 years old they know running backs aren't paid they know running backs have shorter careers everybody talks about it all the time you know i'm not saying every kid knows that but people know the standards i don't think kids are envisioning themselves as running back. And I think there will be a fall off in terms of quality there. That's why wide receivers all, are all of a sudden 
everywhere, like we were talking about earlier. It's because you've had enough time go by where the league has been pass happy that a lot of these kids that are physical freaks yep. are going, I want to be a wide receiver. I can't be the quarterback, so I want to be the wide receiver. Rather than, I can't be the quarterback, I want to be the running back. Oh, yeah. I think that that is a big factor here that people don't talk about. Right, like, if just look at it. If your child was good enough to play in the NFL and they said, Mom, Dad, what position should I play? Would anybody tell them to play running back? Hell no. No way. Your career's too short and you don't make any money. They would say, be a wide receiver. Well, and it's like the most dangerous position because you're right. getting hit nonstop. Be a receiver, be a corner, maybe if you've got that skill. But the last position I feel like they would, honestly, I would tell my kid to be a kicker before I would tell them to be a running back. Because you can make a hell of a lot of money and you can kick for 20 years easy and nobody's allowed to hit you. So that's that's the perfect position, really. You know what my favorite argument for Frank Gore is? And I don't think many people truly have thought about it because they just assume it's not a good argument. If you go look at Larry Fitzgerald's career, he is the wide receiver equivalent to Frank Gore. I think obviously Fitz was a little bit better at his peak, but Fitzgerald never led the league in yards. He has two seasons of leading the league in touchdowns. He has a whole bunch of years where he didn't get a thousand yards where he was playing, you know, when he was older and getting stats to pile up. And that's why he's so high on, on the career yards list because he hung around so long. He has a lot of years where he was good, but not great. Just like, Gore. he has, I think three seasons of 1400 yards, no seasons of 1500 yards. He is the equivalent. It's not a perfect comparison, but Larry Fitz in this pass happy era is the equivalent to Gore. He has a bunch of seasons of being good, but not great. Well, and here's the thing. The pushback on that is going to, I love Larry Fitzgerald, but the pushback on that is going to be, he played with terrible quarterbacks for big parts of his career, which is true. But Gore played on horrible 49ers team. I think Gore played, didn't play on a te 49ers team above 500 until Jim Harbaugh got there. Like they were awful. Jimmy Ray was the freaking coordinator of the offense. Like everybody in the world knew that Frank Gore was getting the ball and he still put up like 1,100, 1,200 yards right. every single season. Let, let's not pretend that Larry Fitz didn't have Kurt Warner and a decent Carson Palmer for about half his career. Let's not pretend like he didn't have Anquan Bolden as his running mate as a wide receiver, making it pretty much impossible to double cover him, double cover him <laughs> throughout his entire peak. You know, Fitzgerald's prime, his, his mid-20s to early 30s, he had Bolden making it impossible to double cover him. That's a hell of a combo, man. Holy yeah. crap. Um, so, all right. I think we've both, we've stated our case for Gore. Uh, Vish Kumarin has been on this. Gore is not a Hall of Famer case. And it just, he even he's not even old enough to remember half his career. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the other thing, too. You talk to the people that played with Gore. I haven't okay. seen any of them say he's not a Hall of Famer. That also matters to me. Uh, we it, go from... it does matter. Contemporaries matter. That is a big part of the Hall of Fame arguments, by the way, is how you are viewed amongst your people you played against, people you played with. And Gore is resound or God, I'm terrible with talking today. Oh, I'm cutting that up as a drop forever. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Gore is universally thought extremely high of by both opponents and his teammates. But before we move on, 
I asked you one thing that I wanted as the topic for Gore, and you haven't brought it up. I texted I, I texted you and say, hey, that's a great idea. I literally have no memory of that. Your favorite game and your favorite single play from Gore's career. Man, and that's a, that's something that people pointed to. Like, what's the Frank Gore moment? It's like, well, if they gave him the damn ball at the end of yeah. the Super Bowl, if he scores a touchdown at the end of that game and the Niners win, are we even talking about Frank Gore's not getting into the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. The no, because the only reason why Bettis made it is because he won the Super yeah. Bowl at the end. Um, but, you know, this is a weird moment. Um, it's, it's not maybe one of his most memorable, but I think it was against the Packers in the playoffs. One of the years, it might've been 2013. I think it was where the Niners are trying to come back at the end to get acres in range for a game winning field goal. And Kaepernick rolls out and scrambles and extends the play, extends the play. I think it's third down and he chucks it to Gore who catches the ball, makes the guy miss and gets the first down, massive first down, extends the drive, all that stuff. And then you come to find out after the game that Gore had a broken thumb. And it was like never a doubt that he was going to be out there. You, you couldn't tell that he had a broken thumb, makes a huge play in a huge spot exactly when the team season is basically on the line. I just think that, that that's the epitome of Frank Gore. Like it doesn't, nothing stops him. Nothing stops him. Two ACL tears in college, no problem. Reconstructive surgery on both shoulders after his rookie season, no problem. Severe dyslexia, no problem. Parent with a drug issue, no problem. You know, there's a story about Gore. He came into the league with a big gold chain and was in the shape of a stop sign. But instead of stop, it said Gore. And I think it was Adam Snyder said, what, what's the deal with that necklace? And he said, man, you know, motherfucker can't stop Gore. And it's true. Nobody could. Yeah, the, the epitome of what made Gore, you know, Gore didn't have breakaway speed. He, the thing that made him was ball carrier vision. I think he's one yes. of the best that's ever been behind the line of scrimmage. And what I mean by that is waiting for the hole. His ability to recognize the movement of where people are going and thus where the hole is going to be is right up there with anybody. Because there are plenty of times with the bad teams that he played for that he is behind the line and there's zero hole. And rather than just running into the back of his offensive lineman, he kind of hesitates. He doesn't fully stop. And that's a key here because I think a lot of running backs do when they're trying to be patient. But he keeps moving and he waits and then he makes a cut right as the hole is opening and he gets there like the moment it, and he squeezed through the smallest of oh, holes yeah. because of that. And then he had good power. He could break arm tackles. He didn't have the breakaway speed. But my favorite uh, play of his is actually one where he went untouched or virtually untouched. And it's one where there was no hole. It's against Seattle early in his career. Is it on fourth down? No. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of a different one. It is a 79-yard touchdown in his second 200-yard game against Seattle back in 2009. <laughs> and it's my favorite for different reasons. One, yes, he showed his patience. He waited for the hole to open and then hit it. But he goes virtually untouched because at, after he gets through the hole, he's running right at the referee. Back when the referee was like right in that linebacker area. And he makes a cut and jukes the referee. Like the referee actually like stumbles a bit. Cause he's like, I don't know where to go. And, and Gord <laughs> jukes him. And then his juke is so good that he, he is able to s split and run between both safeties. And that's part of why it's my favorite. Cause if you look at his highlights, so many of them have Jordan Babineau from the Seahawks <laughs> trying to catch him. Cause he jukes them 
all the time. Now, Jordan Babineau is the guy that Earl Thomas replaced. That's why they drafted Earl Thomas. But he was the safety for them, uh, free safety for them for quite a few years back in the, you know, before the 2010s. And so many of his highlights are Babineau trying to catch him. Babineau being like the last guy <laughs> gets juke and then is the guy that's trying to catch him and running behind him. And it just makes me laugh because if you go watch his highlight videos, just about every single one that involves Seattle is Babineau gets his butt juked. And it just makes me laugh that he kept beating the same guy over and over. That reminds me of back in the day, Joe Starkey, the old Niners radio announcer, would always say Jerry Rice burns Todd Light for the touchdown. Todd Light was a corner for the Rams forever. And poor, poor Todd Light would always get called out by name by Joe Starkey every time Jerry Rice burned him. It always makes me laugh whenever I hear it. Uh, we love you, Frank. You're the best. And good luck in the Hall of Fame. I don't think that – didn't Jed York say they don't retire numbers anymore? Because no one's worn 21 since, but I don't know if it's actually going to get retired, retired. Uh, it, it better or we riot. I mean, <laughs> All right, there you go. That, that would be the last guy I, I would say, yes, there are a lot of retired. It would take – an extreme case to get a number retired after that because you got to be they have so many retired numbers right you're you're at that point where the nfl is old enough and has enough history to where some of the teams that are the most storied in in history are going uh we, we can't retire this guy's number even though he's definitely more deserving than other people just because we don't have many numbers left i'm surprised that the league has not allowed people to go double digit single digit numbers like oh one oh two oh three just because they need numbers like it it's kind of crazy considering how probably come at some point yeah i mean the niners have one two three four five six seven twelve retired numbers like damn you, you can't keep retiring numbers here at some point people got to be able to play on the field uh one number that should be retired but probably won't for the niners is 81 that course belonged to terrell owens when he was there and T.O. is not done playing football, Levin. He's going to the fan control football league. He's going to be on the same team with Johnny Manziel. And he's going to, you know, run out there and play and have fun. But the crazy thing is, he says, even though it's not his number one goal, he's willing to play in the NFL again if a team called on him to do it, which is crazy to me. But he says, look, it's, of course, at some point, everyone's skills may decline, but I think there are certain people that kind of defy those odds. I think I'm one of those people. In case you are wondering, T.O. is five years older than Tom Brady. He is 48 years old. I would love to see it if it happened, but I don't think there's any way it does. There's no way it does because no team's going to deal with the backlash. Then, you know, there's going to be negative. Oh, my God, they're letting him, him play. That's so dangerous, you know. Then all of the, you know, T.O., why does he deserve this chance? Because of his whole reputation, which, you know, I think is overblown. But I'm definitely biased when it comes to T.O. because he's my favorite player. I don't want to hear that garbage when Deshaun Watson just got a $230 million fully exactly. guaranteed. Uh, but I would love to see a team that's completely out of it do it, if only to get him two catches so that he can be second all time <laughs> in catches <laughs> 40 years or older, and it's once again Jerry Rice and Tio back to back. Because right now, as that as that list stands, there's only three people in the history of the NFL that have had a catch in their 40s. And it is Jerry Rice, who had more than 2,000 yards in his 40s, yep, followed by Tom two. Brady and Brett Favre. Yeah, it's all quarterbacks, <laughs> which is crazy. I would like it for another reason. I want to see Tio come back, first of all, because I just – 
I just think he's stunningly entertaining. And I like when the league has entertaining people. But he's eighth all-time in receptions. I'd love to see him pass Tim Brown if he could do that. He's, uh, let's see, he's 14, 16 receptions away from tying Tim Brown. But also, when it comes to touchdowns, he is super close to Randy Moss, I believe. Is he ahead of Moss? No. He's three touchdowns behind Randy Moss for second all-time. And I don't want to hear... Any more garbage about Randy Moss being the best wide receiver of all time. If T.O. passes him on touchdowns, then I feel like that argument's got to go right down the toilet. I mean, it would be kind of a cheap way to pass him, but whatever, man. If he's in the league, they all count. I mean, plus he'd be like the first Hall of Famer to come back and play, right? I don't even know. The Hall of Fame doesn't like that. That's why they wait five years after you retire because they do not want active Hall of Famers. Uh, I'm, I'm here for it, man. I would watch the hell out of that. Put, yeah, why, you, what what team out there that is going to be completely out of it? Why not? Honestly, could, could Jacksonville have been any more dysfunctional last season? Why not <laughs> go out and do it? <laughs> if I were the Packers, like, don't you have to work? Just work them out. If anybody can make it work, I feel like it'd be Aaron Rodgers. He'd find a way to get him the ball. Yeah, I don't know about that. Because I do think T.O. is going to be outspoken. And he's great. He, He's not going to – I don't know how to put this other than, you know, Aaron Rodgers needs you to be exact. He needs his timing perfectly. He is very much in the mold of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady where everything is down to an absolute T. I don't think T.O. is going to come in at 48 and be doing that, and he's also not going to put up with a quarterback – uh, talking poorly about him in the media, like Aaron Rodgers Which, loves to have the undercutted, you know, undercut. I don't know how how you want to put it, insults to his wide receivers without actually naming them or saying it. Aaron Rodgers is extremely passive aggressive, and I don't think T.O. would stay quiet if he pulls that BS. As a Niner fan, I see that as an absolute win. No matter what happens, it's good. If T.O. goes there and plays great, it'll be fun to see. If he doesn't play great and he blows the team up, I'm that's fine with me, too. I, this is a total win. I would love to just see it USFL. Why not? You know what? It would make me way more likely to watch a damn game. Exactly. I was hoping you would pick up on that. Like They, they need to get the viewers. And once you have the viewers... You know, it's football. They're going to watch. But it's get convincing people to make time in their schedule to watch yep. a like, new league. Well, if you get T.O., every single one of those games is must-watch. If you got T.O., Tim Tebow, I would love to see just because I like car wrecks sometimes. You get Colin Kaepernick, like, I would watch the hell out of that. And you could maybe even get a couple older guys that have stepped away, you know, maybe one or two years retired that want to still kick it around, possibly. I don't know. There are people out there you can get, but you got to get me names. You can't give me, like, some scrub backup for the Giants that played in the league for three years and have that be your, like, number one overall pick. Like, no. Like, why am I going to waste my time with that? Because it's football? No. But, that, yes, I, I agree. Like, I'm not – it's not a – NFL Sunday where I'm sitting and watching football a day. Leave me alone. It's right. a, oh, I got nothing else going on. Maybe I'll throw it on. Oh, wow. That's cool. A bunch of people I don't really know. Exactly. Ooh, wow. Look at that tackle. Great. <laughs> like, sorry. No. So anyway, that was just something that caught my eye. I love Terrell Owens. So it would be stunning to see a 48-year-old wide receiver. But like I said, if it happened, I'd be all for it. Let's see a Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
T.O. and Chad Johnson <laughs> team up in the USFL. I would. God, Did they play together that? in Cincy? I'm not yeah. sure if Fitzpatrick was there at the same time. I thought oh, he was. I don't know if Fitzpatrick was there, but T.O. And, and Ocho were there at the same time. I think Fitzpatrick might have been a backup at that time. Well, I'd be I'd be down for that. Like, that's the kind of thing that's going to get me to watch. And the only thing, really. That's going to get me to watch. That's going to do it for this edition of the Gold Diggers podcast. Again, keep those reviews coming. We are so grateful and thankful. If you already follow the show, we appreciate it. But if you haven't left a review, we just ask you if you could just do that for us. Take 30 seconds out of your day. Leave us a review. It really, really does help. We are just weeks away from the NFL draft. We are going to have a ton of draft coverage for you coming up. We're going to have a live stream show on day two of the draft. We will get on the air if something crazy happens and somehow the 49ers are back in the first round. But if that doesn't happen, we'll probably do a live Twitter space during the first round of the draft. Then we'll do a live show on day two and we'll have instant reaction podcast for you for every single 49ers pick. So now is the perfect time to smash that subscribe button. Levin, I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Aw, you like me. Admit it. No, because if you have a good weekend, that means you're not talking to me. Uh, I will have a good weekend because it's like one of my rare periods of two days off in a row. Hey, look at that. What are you going to do with all your time? Sit on my ass, probably. Yeah, much like you're doing now. Way to go. Enjoy the week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.